Good morning. Are you ready for our future? Are you ready for whatever happens on Tuesday to just roll itself on out? You know, I know some of you are excited or ramped up about Tuesday, but some of you are like, man, I can't wait for this to be over, right? Maybe, maybe you're in one of those two categories. Uh, but I want to assure you, if you're a guest here, I want to welcome you, but I want to assure you we're not going to talk about politics today. So just let the air out of that one. Okay, we are not going to talk about that today. What we're going to talk about, we've been doing this series called Letters to the President, and, and what would you write in a letter to the next president, he or she? Uh, what would you say? What would you put in the content of that? And uh, what we've been talking about these last few weeks is, uh, you know, comes from this website that was started years ago by teenagers or people that were under the age of 18 that couldn't vote. And they wanted to have a voice, so they started this website, and they would write letters to the future president because they wanted to have a voice. And it's, caught, it's got, actually gotten a lot of momentum uh, for, for people to write in, for these young people to write in. And they actually have a lot to say to our next president. And so that's kind of the idea. But really what we've been talking about is leadership. Leadership. Uh, and leadership is a big deal. It affects a lot of people. Uh, and I believe, you know, you as a, a, as a follower of Jesus or you, if you believe in, in, in Jesus, you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian uh, or if you believe in prayer, I want to encourage you to pray because we need to pray for our leadership, not just the president, the future president, but all the outcome of the elections on Tuesday and our own leadership, whatever platform, whatever level, we need to pray for these people. And the Bible tells us to do that. Uh, you know, and, and our leaders affect, our leadership affects what happens at a lot of levels. And so what we've been talking about the last few weeks is the character of leaders, uh, the importance of leadership. Uh, this is an overarching idea that we started out with, and, and that is this. And this is, I believe, one of the reasons our nation is what it is. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. You know, and I believe God's blessed the United States, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but this country is like no other in the world. And if you go and travel some other places, you'll see that this is a really special place. But I believe this is one of the reasons our forefathers, the, the men that started this country, really had some deep, deep convictions about this, this verse. If we're going to build a nation, we've got to make sure that God is Lord and not ourselves, that we don't elevate ourselves and, and have you know, principalities that we think we're kings and we think we're all that. And we're in danger as a nation of, of going a different direction than this. Because if you ask people, so who is Lord in our nation right now? Is it God? You know, what, what foundations do we have? So uh, two weeks ago, we talked about this principle. Anthony rolled out our series. We talked about leadership as a stewardship. And the whole idea that he talked about was that every single leader has to give an account for how they lead. And what, what we talked about the first two weeks was all of us are leaders at some, in some shape or form. Did you know that? You're a leader. You, you've been given some kind of responsibility. You have some platform. You have some leverage somewhere doing something. If you're a mom, you have incredible leverage on the future of your children. And, and it's huge. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, uh, if you're an employee, you, you affect a lot of people. And all of us are going to have to give an account, as we saw in the example of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, when Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, hey, the Lord is God and he's going to call you into account. And then last week I talked about this whole idea of moral authority. What this has to talk about is the whole idea of you've got to practice what you preach. In other words, the principles that you talk about you better live by them, you better walk in them, or else what happens? You have no moral authority. And maybe that's one of the reasons why in our country we've lost so much respect. And there's two groups of people that we as Americans expect these groups of people to walk the walk and to, to live moral, upright, upright lives is politicians and religious leaders. We expect those two groups of people to walk the walk. What happens when there's moral authority, when they walk the walk? It builds respect. See, so many people want to talk about young people, why they don't have respect today. Why have they lost respect? 
It's this you is here. Immoral authority, meaning when, remember, you've heard this phrase, don't, uh, do as I say, don't do as I do. I mean, that is a recipe for this right here. It creates resistance, and it creates disrespect. And I believe we need to do everything we can to be respectful of everybody. But there's a crisis going on. Because people don't do what they say, and they don't walk what they believe, and they don't live according to their convictions and principles, people push back. And maybe that's why you, if you're here today, and you care less about Tuesday because you've lost all hope of that, you know, hey, these guys, these people are not living the life. I can't respect them. So we talked about it, and, we're, and, and last week we really rolled out this idea that we got to stop being like the news media, where we point the finger at those guys, those people, and actually look back at ourselves and ask the question, what about my leadership platform? I'm not running for president or for Congress or for Senate, but I'm doing something in this society. And am I, am I walking the walk? Am I living the life? And so we talked about this last, last week is, uh, what are you running, what, what office are you running for? If you're a dad, would your family vote for you? If you're a mom, if you're a wife, would your husband vote for you? Would they look at you and say, I'm behind you 100% because you are, are walking the walk? If you're a, 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 a child, you know, would your parents vote for you? Like, hey, I'm, you're, you're my child and I would vote for you to be my child. Or is, you know, it's a little crazy. But the whole idea of, am I going to live a life that people are going to be supportive of? Or are we part of the problem? Just the same. So we talked about that last last week. You can go to our website and you can watch it. Uh, But before we get into our our topic today, we've got to take a step back, okay? Because I believe we as Americans are a little out there as far as problems are concerned. So can you guys help me with a little audience participation? Can you help me today identify what are some problems that we're dealing with in our nation today. So just raise your hand on up and, and give, me, give me an example of some problems we're dealing with and that have a lot to do with this election. Anthony, go ahead. Finances, the money, not enough, too much. Yes, all the way in the back. Homelessness, big problem, yes. Division in our country, racial tension, yes. Education, free or paid? Big question, yes. I'm sorry? Too sensitive. Okay, to uh, PC, politically correct. Yes. Breakdown of the family. Now we're getting down to some real issues. Yeah. Health care. Okay, let's just go down the list here. Health care, is it a right or is it a privilege? Careful. Because some people say it's a right. Everybody should have health care. used to be it was a privilege, right? And, and we can go on and all, but let's just take a step back. Some of these problems, health care, let's talk about this. If you go to another place in the world, is health care a right or a privilege? Woo, it's a privilege. It's a huge privilege. You go to some places in the world, I mean, you don't have insurance. You can walk into the emergency room in this country, and guess what? They will not throw you out on your head. You go to another country, and you go to the emergency room, they're going to say, can I have a credit card, please? And they'll check. I don't care if you're dying. They'll check it and see what, what your balance is, and can you handle a heavy load? And if you don't have it, they will not take you in. So I'm saying all this because Education, free or paid, you know, and, and, and you guys, I know, and, and you love to have free education. In another country, do you realize that it is not a privilege? I mean, it is a privilege. It's not a, a, not a right. And so I'm, I'm saying all of this because for us as Americans, we're living in a time in our history, in our world history, in human history, we've never seen such wealth and prosperity, ever, ever where we have so much. And we're debating issues that are, that are, that are so, so significant, but at the same time, in the real, but in reality, guess what they are? 
They're rich people problems. They're rich people problems. Have you ever looked at your problems? I mean, wrote them down on a list and said, here's my problems. And then you go to another country and then you look at their problems, you go, you know what, I got rich people problems. Mortgage in my car, or my, 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 my car payment is too high, the insurance is too high on my car. You know that eight to 10% of the world's population has a car and the rest don't? Southern California, man, my car's old and it's beat up, I need a new car. That's a rich person's problem. Healthcare, you know that mo most of us that do have insurance, we're taking prescription medication. The great majority of people with healthcare are taking prescription medication. You know why we're taking prescription medication? Because we've got health problems. Do you know why we have health problems? Okay, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but if you go to other countries, we got some big people in this country. We have so much food and so much abundance that we eat too much and we have so much that we, in, we affect our health, right? We're not healthy, so we got to take medication to offset the abundance. Okay, don't want to step on anybody's toes, but it's a reality. Go, go out there and see what I'm talking about. We have so much, it's created a problem. Here's a principle that you have in this country right now. When you have too much of anything, you will become what? If you have more money, will you have more money to spare? Not necessarily. And we see this all the time with celebrities, professional athletes. How is it when they make millions and millions of dollars, they have problems paying their taxes or they declare bankruptcy? How is that possible? You and I look at that and we go, that's insane. They make, you know, $50 million. How is it they don't have enough money? This principle right here. And the idea that we have a time in our history where there's so much abundance, it's created problems. And none of you mentioned it, but our, our debt, our national debt, we have so much money, but how is it that we have $20 trillion in debt with ourselves? How, how is that possible? Some of you are shaking your head. That's a rich person's problem. Because when you have so much, guess what you do? You spend more. You spend more. And what we need right now is leadership. And I would say probably in your own house you need leadership that's gonna say, you know what, we don't need to go with what's popular, we need to go with what's needed to address our situation right now. What we need is this, discipline, discipline. And today we're gonna to talk about an example in the scriptures that speaks exactly to this. It speaks exactly to this. And we're gonna talk about the king of dreams. King of dreams, and we're gonna go back to the Old Testament and we're going to talk about a king, and we've always been talking about leaders these past few weeks. We're going to talk about a king of Egypt, Pharaoh. We don't know his exact name, but we just go Pharaoh, Pharaoh. His name was Pharaoh, Pharaoh. He was the king of Egypt. And guess what? During this time that Pharaoh ruled, Egypt was at its very top height of prosperity and wealth. Right on the Nile River, the land was was perfect to plant crops. Money was flowing in from all over. They had an incredible army. They were the most powerful, one of the most powerful nations in the world. It was the, considered the epicenter at this time. And the king got a message via a dream. And the second character we're gonna look at is a young man, 17 years old, when he was deported by his family, his brothers, 11 of them, who sold him into slavery. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Joseph. Not Joseph, father-in-law of Jesus. Joseph in the Old Testament. It's important to spell this out because people get confused. It's not a joke. Joseph was one of the grandsons of Abraham. He was Jacob's son, and Jacob had a lot of sons, and Jacob's sons hated Joseph. So what did they do to Joseph? They wanted to kill him. But one of his brothers said, no, 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 let's, let's, 
let's figure out another way to save his life. So they sold him into slavery, and they sent him to Egypt as a slave. You know what I appreciate about the Bible? The Bible doesn't give you mixed stories. It tells you exactly what's going on with God's people. And God's people are messed up sometimes. They do some ugly things. And the Bible tells you exactly that they do ugly things. So he goes to Egypt as a slave. He's hired on by one of Pharaoh's top guys. And the wife of this top guy accuses Joseph of trying to pursue him when it's reality she was pursuing him. And so he gets falsely accused of trying to have an affair with one of Pharaoh's main guys. And so the wife has him arrested and thrown in the dungeon. Falsely accused. And Joseph, I mean, he's, he's like one of my favorite examples in the Old Testament of when unjust suffering, he got sold into slavery unjustly, he got arrested and thrown in the dungeon unjustly. And what does he do? He stays faithful to God. He holds to his convictions and does what's right, even though it was very, very difficult. So he's in the dungeon, and he's there, and two of Pharaoh's enemies are sent to prison. One of them is a baker. He must have made a bad cake, and he got sent to prison. And then his wine taster, two of Pharaoh's kind of close guys, the wine taster got sent. He must have, you know, tasted the wine and it was, said it was good when it was bad. And, you know, when you're a pharaoh and you're a king, you get mad at little things. So both of them get to sent to prison. And so they're in prison, and guess what happens while they're in prison? Under Joseph's care, because Joseph was so faithful and so upright in his character, the jailer basically said, Joseph, you're in charge. You're, you take care of everybody. So the two enemies of Pharaoh had dreams vivid dreams. And Joseph had a special gift. And you know what that gift was? He could interpret dreams. Have you ever had a really, really weird, disturbing dream? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody like Joseph and, hey, can, can you tell me what this means? And he say, it's nothing. It's what you ate the day before. But that would give us comfort. That would give us a lot of comfort. But what if it was something significant? And for these two guys, it was significant. And Joseph told them exactly what their dreams meant, and guess what happened? Exactly what their dream said happened. He predicted, predicted. And as they're leaving, the two enemies, they got put back in their position to serve the king. One of them had his head chopped off, as Joseph predicted. But the other one, the wine taster, got restored to his position, full, full restoration in his position. But Joseph said something on his way out. He said, listen, guys, when you go back and you're with Pharaoh, I need you to remember me. I need you to remember me and get me out of this spot because I'm in here just unjustly. I was sold as a slave. I got falsely accused. Get me out of here. Will you do that? Wine taster said, yeah, man, we got you. We'll remember you. Thank you for helping us out. And guess what the wine taster did? Completely forgot about him. And so here's Joseph sitting in jail for a couple more years, wondering, am I ever going to get out of this spot? And God is faithful. And we're going to pick it up where Pharaoh has a dream, a disturbing dream. And so let's, let's grab it. Genesis 41, verse 14. Here we go. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon when the, he had shaved and changed his clothes and came before Pharaoh. Now, shaved and changed his clothes. Did he get a bath? They clean him up. I don't know. It's questionable. Fresh out of the dungeon before King Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that you, that when you hear it, hear a dream, you can interpret it. My wine taster told me and the wine taster must have felt awful because he forgot about Joseph, but this dream, <laughs> this dream made him remember, and he recommended Joseph to Pharaoh. And so here he is in front of the king of the most powerful nation in the world, and he's had a dream. And so here we go. I can't do it, Joseph said, replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. But I want you to just stop and think. When Joseph said this, Pharaohs thought they were God. So for him to say, my God, not you, my God can give me the interpretation of this dream. That was bold. And Pharaoh didn't make an issue of it because he wanted to know the answer to his dream. So standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. And then he goes into another dream, and we're not going to read it, but he has a dream of these stalks of wheat. Seven of them, plump, juicy, beautiful stalks. And after them, seven other stalks, scrawny, ugly, nasty-looking stalks. And those stalks ate up the seven plump, juicy stalks of wheat. And so these are vivid, very vivid, vivid dreams. And Pharaoh doesn't know what to do. He asks his whole cabinet, Does anybody, can anybody interpret these dreams? Nobody can. And Joseph's about to tell him what it means. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what's about, what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. Okay, so this is about what's about to happen, Pharaoh. Seven years. Seven years of incredible abundance. Fat, plump, juicy, incredible abundance, wealth, prosperity. But after those seven years are going to come terrible seven years. So terrible that they're going to eat up and you're going to even forget about those first seven years of prosperity. No one will remember them. That's how bad it's going to get. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh is thinking, hey, this could be very serious. If what you're saying is true, Joseph, the nation, the whole nation of Egypt could be ruined by what you're saying is going to happen. And he says, God's revealed this to you so you can do something about it. What I appreciate about what Joseph's about to do is he's incredibly bold. He gets it. Joseph knows why he is where he is. And look at what he says. He goes on. He said, seven years of abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and he will do it soon. Here it comes. So what do you do is King Pharaoh, you got some news, disaster, is coming right after incredible prosperity. And I appreciate Joseph. Look at what he does. He, fresh out of prison, he's going to give Pharaoh advice. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, think about it. And now let Pharaoh look for discerning and wise, a wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Hint, hint. A wise man. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Now stop a minute. We know this from history that Pharaoh already charged a 10% tax. What Joseph is proposing is what? A fifth. How much is that? 20%. So is this going to be a popular decision? You've got 10% tax, and now we're going to put another 20% on top of it, a total of 30% tax. That's, that's intense. 
They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store, them, store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, check this out. Can we find anyone like this man straight out of prison? Doesn't say that, I'm adding, okay. One in whom is the Spirit of God. And so the cabinet's going, he hasn't been out of prison more than 20 minutes. And Pharaoh is recommending him for the job. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made this known to you, there is no one discerning and wise as you. You will be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Talk about a promotion. He's been waiting his whole life. I want you to understand something about Joseph. When he was 17 years old, he had two dreams. And he had those dreams when he was a young man. And those dreams spoke to him that at some point in your future, God is going to use you and elevate you to a high position of authority. And people are going to bow down to you. And the thing about Joseph is he held on to those dreams and now it's being fulfilled. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt, the most prosperous land in the world at this time, one of. Joseph goes from the dungeon to being in charge of everything. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He still got some prison smell on him. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put gold chains around his neck. And they paraded him around in a chariot saying, Hail to the second in command. Now, you could think that Pharaoh is completely out of his mind. Or is he? This is a very unpopular decision. This could be seen as lunacy. But who is Pharaoh really concerned about? Himself, but also the nation of Egypt. He wants to make sure that his legacy and the people of Egypt are protected and are taken care of. Joseph was 30 years old when when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt during the seven years of abundance The land produced plentiful. Joseph basically put together this huge plan. They built huge warehouses where they stored all this grain. Instead of selling it and making money off of it, they stored it. They they put it in these huge warehouses. But what's everybody else in the private sector doing during this time of abundance? What do you think they're doing during this time of abundance? The Americans in Egypt, what are they doing during this time of abundance? Are they setting aside? Are they, are they making sure they have enough savings for later? Heck no. They're spending it. They're using it. They're selling it. But Joseph, by God's hand, has... has and so we're going to jump ahead to verse 53 of chapter 41. Seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands. So it wasn't just in Egypt. It was all over the place. And the whole land, but the whole land of Egypt, guess what there was? Thanks to one man's plan. Pharaoh listened to a guy straight out of the dungeon who knew how to interpret dreams. There was food. So when Egypt began to feel the famine, you know what that feeling's like? We don't. We don't know what that feeling's like. The people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Do whatever he tells you. 
This is, this is incredibly powerful, the position that Joseph got put in like that and how God used him. And so Joseph basically begins to give away the food. What does he do? He sells it. He sells it because, you know, all these American Egyptians now have money because they got all this money, so they're going to start buying, and he starts selling the grain for food. Here's the thing you got to remember. In the days of abundance, people get what? Say it with me. Go ahead and say it to your neighbor. In the time of abundance, people get, say it to your neighbor, get undisciplined. Hey, Marv, do you know this? In the time of abundance, what do people do? Do they save more? They, they spend more. They get undisciplined. Look at our country. Is this perfect? And we're all guilty. I'm up here preaching, but we're all guilty. I hope we can walk away from this message and go, you know what? It's time for change. It's time for change. First, chapter 47, we're going to jump ahead. There was no food. However, in the whole region, because the famine was so severe, both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. How bad is it? Everything is wasting away. People sold, and they, they used up all their money to buy food. Then they had to start selling their cattle in exchange for food. Then they had to start selling their land in exchange for food. It got so bad, guess what else they exchanged? Themselves. See, there's no credit. No credit cards, you know, no Capital One, borrow it. No, no, no. We, we're going we're gonna to own you, you and your children. We own you, and then we'll give you food in exchange. Joseph collected all the money that was found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain that they were buying, and he, bought, he brought it into Pharaoh's palace. So what did he do for Pharaoh? And he set Pharaoh up. He set Pharaoh up. But he also set the country up. When the money, when the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all, the, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? This is how bad it got. Our money's all gone. You have everything. You own everything, including us. Just give us food. And so what does Joseph do? He gives them seed, because those seven years were over, but they had nothing. So Joseph gives them food, and he gives them seed. And what does he do with the seed? He says, plant. But when you plant, you got to give Pharaoh 20%. I mean, an incredible example. Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here's seed so that you can plant in the ground when the crop comes, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. And look at the people's response. You think they're mad? You saved our lives, Joseph. You saved our lives. What was at stake here? Prophet? Joseph saved lives. Who's behind Joseph? God. What does God want to do? If you're here visiting with us today, what does God want to do in your life? Ruin your marriage or save your marriage? Does he want to ruin your family or save your family? Does he want to ruin your future or save your future? I mean, God, God, God is he's with us, he's behind us, but there's a problem. We've become so dismissive and so cynical, we don't listen. And we've lost faith in God and in people. People don't even go to church anymore. I'm really glad that you came to church today if you're a guest. But people don't even go because they dismiss it. Why do I waste my time? And look what they said. We will find, we, may we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. We're alive. Our kids are alive. But what did Joseph turn around and do? He said, I give you seed, I give you land, work the land. All I'm asking is a fifth. He wasn't oppressive. 
He gave the people back their land, and they were able to rebuild their lives. So let's talk about leadership principles. Let's wrap this up. What are some of the things that we, you and I, can take away from Pharaoh? Because you're going to be given an opportunity to lead in some level, in some platform, whether you know it or not. These are the takeaways. Pharaoh led with the future in mind. Americans, do we lead with the future in mind? Not really. You know what we lead with in mind? What do we lead in mind? Right now. Right now. It's about here and it's about now. We're not thinking five years down the road. What's your five-year plan? He did that. He said, man, seven years of, heart, seven years of abundance. We've got to think about those next seven years. A 14-year plan. Pharaoh had the courage to do that as a leader. He ignored the public opinion because you've got to believe a 20% increase in taxes. How are people going to feel about that? But who did he do it for? For the sake of the people. You know what we need in our country today? As a leader that's willing to do that. But it doesn't come naturally. And I realize Pharaoh is a king and he doesn't get elected. He takes the power. Okay? Now here's a, here's a, here's a mind-blowing principle right here. He taxed and saved versus taxed and spent. What would our country look like if we did this? We not only tax and spend, we spend more than we tax. Now, don't get off on a principle, but what about you? When you get a little extra money, what do you do with it? Do you save it? Do you set it aside? Are you thinking about the future? He did not let personal prejudice blind him from good advice. Let's, let's be honest. If someone came out of prison... And you didn't know the whole story. You knew some things. Would you get advice from them? That'd be hard, wouldn't it? And not only was he out of prison, he was in a Hebrew. People from Egypt did not respect. There, there, was, there was racial division in these times too where they didn't respect people from Cana because they were shepherds, people of the animals. They worked with animals. And so, for an Egyptian, that's a huge... Now, here's the point I want you to take away today. If there's one thing I want you to take away from today that I believe is huge for our life, for our nation, and that's this. He was spiritually open to the message, the messages from God and from the people that God used. You know what our greatest crisis in our country is right now? We've lost our spiritual openness. We don't even listen to God anymore. And I got to be honest, as a church, I wonder if we're listening to God and his messengers. Are we too busy with things that really aren't going to make any difference? It's all about here and now. This is a big deal. Let me ask you a question. Is God speaking in 2016? Some of you are pretty sure, but others of you are quiet. Is God speaking now? Can God speak to you? That's a big question. I believe if you open this, this uh, book of, of scriptures every day of your life, I believe God will speak to you. He speaks to me. You know what? I, I get overwhelmed with what God has to say to me sometimes. I'm just like, whoa, whoa. Can, can, can we take a, a minute here? Because I, I'm hearing so much, I don't even know what to do. It's so much. College students, you guys were at a, a, a retreat last week, right? The, the, what was it called again? Rise. Was God speaking at that? To you? Here's the interesting thing about God. God doesn't speak to all of us. He speaks to each of us. That's what's blow away. I, I, I can't get over the fact that God can speak to each one of us individually about our character, about our lives, about our circumstances, where we are right now. I can't get over that. 
that God can give direction through all of that. If you don't believe me, you're like a lot of Americans where you've become dismissive and cynical and critical, and you're not listening. It's pretty crazy what Pharaoh did. A dream? Seriously? And I'm not talking about, you know, a Martin Luther King Jr. dream. I have a dream. No, we're not talking about that kind of dream. We're talking about a, a crazy dream. Cattle, grains. But God was using it. And he saved the nation. And I believe God is speaking to us today, but the problem is, is we're not, we're not, we're not listening. And this is a huge problem that I see in our nation. We've become so cynical and so, so dismissive of everything. And, oh, yeah, God, I don't even know. And, and the Bible, I don't even know. The Bible's not the word of God, and, and I don't know what is. But then, yet people live their lives the way they see fit, and they're destroying them. We're going to vote on things we clearly know on Tuesday that are going to hurt our nation. But they're popular. They're popular. And people want it. It's good now, but what about in 10 years? Look at this. This is Jesus during Jesus' time. John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you. Was Jesus speaking to people when he walked the earth? Absolutely. He was speaking. God was speaking through his son. I did tell you, but you don't believe the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. It, couldn't, it was clear as day with Jesus, was Jesus from God. It was so clear. People were paralytics were being healed. The words that he was speaking made absolute sense. They were clear. And people were like, no. I don't believe what he's saying. I don't believe he's the son of God. Do you know where he's from? He's from, he's from Nazareth. I know his family. How can he be the son of God? And they were cynical. You have a choice to make. As a citizen of the United States, you follow the current flow of where our nation's going. Or you can decide, you know what? I'm going to go back to our roots as a nation, and believe God is still working and still wants you. Do you realize what this country does for the world? There's still some principles that are working. We help so many nations that are in trouble. Where did that principle come from? Do you think it came from the postmodern era where people are so concerned about, you know, the future and technology that they want to care for somebody they don't even know? It comes from our roots. We're a compassionate, we're a generous nation who goes out of its way. People go out of their way to serve the poor and the needy. Where does that come from? What if Pharaoh, now here's the last thing I want to ask you, and then we're going to wrap it up. What if Pharaoh would have rejected the message? How would it have turned out? For Egypt, how would it have turned out? Turned out really bad, wouldn't it? God's people, because it affected not just Egypt, it affected who? Joseph's family. A lot of what we read about wouldn't have happened because Pharaoh wasn't even a follower of God. He was a follower of the sun. He, he, was taught, he thought he was a God, but for a window, for a window of his life, he listened to God's voice. And I'm hoping that for a window of your life, you will listen to God's voice. Because I believe there's a message in your life right now that some things are going to go down in your life. If you make this decision, it's going to destroy your future, your family's future, and we see it happening again and again. Things like your health. Some of you know you're going in the wrong direction with your personal health. I mean, this is serious. We're making bad decisions, and God is speaking and saying, don't go down this road. 
finances, making some really bad decisions with our money, where we appropriate it. We got a generation of young people that want to serve the Lord, and yet we don't want to give anymore to help them perpetuate that vision and that dream. We're holding back. Look at this, this promise that God gave Solomon. If you think our nation's in trouble, here's the solution. Here it is. If my people, not Americans, my people, who are my people? People who are listening, people who are listening, people who are paying attention, people who have spiritual hearts of discernment that are saying, yeah, I want to listen, God, speak to me, direct me. I don't want to follow the crowd, I want to follow you. I want to follow you because I see where the crowd's going. I was in college at 21 years old. I could see it. I said, the crowd is going to ruin. I don't want to go that way. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, what is America? What do we need in this group, in this church right now? We need humility. If they'll humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And you know what those ways are. You know what those things are. If you turn from those wicked ways, then I, here's the promise of God, I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive, you know, and some of us, we think we've done so many bad things that God could never forgive me. I got news for you. There's evidence that God has forgiven worse, much, much worse people than you And here. So if he could forgive them, and even in this room, there are people in this room that have done things worse than you. And you say, oh, well, I don't believe. Well, spend some more time with us and you'll see. And keep your pocketbook or your wallet close. I will forgive their sins and heal the land. Is there hope for the United States of America? You better believe it. But it starts right here. It starts right here. Faith in action. Hear the message and move in the direction of change. From last weekend, what did you grab? What did you grasp from the Rise Conference? Are you moving this week? A week later, are you moving in the direction of change? Or have you already forgot about it? Next week, we got a marriage retreat. Some of you are really, really excited about it. It's not just to go away and chill in Oxnard, you know, near the ocean. No, it's a place to go and listen, listen. How are you going to change my marriage? How can you elevate my marriage from where it is to where it needs to be? And if you're here as a guest and your marriage is a little shaky, you need to be at the marriage retreat. You need to go. You need to find out about it. Don't miss this. But you know what bothers me? We hear so many messages and it goes right over our head. Pray and listen. God, God I believe this. I believe this. God is, is speaking. He's, he's working. He's trying. He's insisting with you. And some of you are waiting and you're saying, well, I don't know. No, that's not the problem. The problem is you're holding back. And you've become like a great American, dismissive, critical, cynical, so sad. And they boom, right into the ground. There are so many lives at stake. How many lives were at stake with Joseph and Pharaoh? How many lives are at stake right now? Do you know that if you don't elevate your marriage and your family and you don't move in God's direction, the effects can be devastating? It can affect your economy. You can move in the direction of poverty. You can move in the direction of poor health. You can move in the direction of, of eternal separation from God. Or you can move in the direction of blessings. It's so simple. What about your investment into the future of Jesus' church? You know, I appreciate Isaiah coming up here and talking, but guys, I believe we're holding back from God and giving to God in the church. I've had so many talks with young people who want to go in the ministry. They want to go in the ministry. Ten years ago, if you had asked a few of our college students, hey, you want to go in the ministry? No way. And now we got people that want to train. 
for, for bread and bed expenses so they can train to go in the ministry. And yet we don't have enough. We have enough. But I believe there's a here and now problem. You know, some misappropriation of things. And this is the last thing. Are you open to being Joseph? Are you open to being Joseph? It's not just about listening. It's also speaking. Do you know that some of you are going to be put in a position to change a lot of people's lives if you will just speak? And not just speak, blah, blah, blah. I mean, speak with your life and walk the walk because that's what gets people's attention when you live it out. And I believe God can use us here in this room. God can use us because there are pharaohs out there that are about to face some serious consequences of their decisions and you can make a difference. I'm so glad that I had Joseph's in my life when I needed him. And they spoke truth to me. Here's what's going to happen. You keep living the way you're living for this world and for pleasure and for yourself, you will destroy yourself. I'm like, really? That's a pretty heavy dream right there. It's your choice. Or you can follow God and his word and his great, great, great plan for your life. And he's going to bless you with a family. He's going to bless you with, 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 with what you need, a purpose. I had to make a choice. Every day we're faced with those choices. So I'm going to pray for you now. We're going to take the communion. And I really, really pray, guys, that, that we can take away and stop being like the news media. Forget about the news media. They're pointing the fingers at leaders. We need to be the leaders. Don't be like the news media. Critical. Be the leader. Decide, I, I, can't, I can't worry about them. I got I to gotta do what I can where I am to make this nation better. Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness in the past and in the present. God, we pray that you'll forgive us for our dismissive mindset and our American ways of thinking about the here and now. We ask you, God, today that you'll please, through your spirit, move us in your direction. Open our ears and our eyes. Put people in our path that can help us. And, Father, help us to turn back to you as you said to Solomon, if my people will humble themselves right now, God, we want to humble ourselves and ask you to bless and help our nation. We lift up Jesus right now as we take the communion. We remember his body. We remember his blood that was just poured out for us, for our forgiveness, to know that we're loved and that you have a plan for our future. Bless us, God. Thank you. We love you. And we pray for our nation, but we pray for our church. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.